This is episode 74 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are To close or not to close a wound What is the best location for a cache on your property And the first counties to be relieved by the government after SHTF Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website A daily aggregator of preparedness information These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Before we get started, I just want to remind you to uh, head on over to Ed That Matters and make sure that you register for that free giveaway of the Mega Sampler uh, packed by Legacy Foods. Uh, 183 servings, 31 pounds, 41,000 calories. So as of uh, it's 10 o'clock central time where I'm at and uh, there's been over 560 entries we still have five days left so you still have time to get over there and get it in but uh, definitely go do that uh, the article has been uh, well the article where the raffle copter is the giveaway uh, has been receiving a lot of traffic from a lot of different places so I know people are sharing it out so I really appreciate that uh, getting it out there let's go ahead and get started on the podcast it is a little later than normal for me uh, getting started. So I uh, want to make sure I get through everything here and uh, keep my eyes awake. Uh, first one comes to us from doomandbloom.net. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy are two of my favorite people. They're genuine people. Uh, so I've been able to spend some time with them. Uh, just love them to death. And uh, so always love their stuff. I think medical preparedness is one of the most important things that we can prepare for, right? So let's go ahead and read this one. When a laceration occurs, our body's natural armor is breached and bacteria, even species that are normal inhabitants of our skin, get a free ticket into the rest of our body. Microbes that are harmless outside the body could be life-threatening inside the body. It only makes common sense that we want to close a cut, also known as a laceration, to speed healing and prevent infection. There is controversy, however, as to whether or not a wound should be closed. When and why would you choose to close a wound and what method should you use? A laceration may be closed either by sutures, tapes, staples, or medical superglue such as Dermabond or even industrial superglue the prescription product tolerates getting wet better. After rendering first aid, which includes controlling the bleeding, removing any debris, flushing debris out of the wound known as irrigation, and applying antiseptic, you will have to make a decision. What are you trying to accomplish by closing a wound? Your goals are simple. You close wounds to repair the defect in your body's armor to eliminate dead space, pockets of air, fluid under the skin which could lead to infection, and to promote healing. Although less a consideration in normal times, a well-approximated wound also has less scarring. It sounds, you think, as if all wounds should be closed. Unfortunately, closing a wound that should be left open can do a lot more harm than good and could possibly put your patient's life at risk. Take the case of a young woman injured some years ago in a fall from a zip line. She was taken to the local emergency room where 22 staples were needed to close a large laceration. Unfortunately, the wound had dangerous bacteria in it, causing a serious infection which spread throughout her body. She eventually required multiple amputations, including her hands. We learn from this an important lesson, namely, that the decision to close a wound is not automatic but involves several considerations. 
The most important of these is whether you're dealing with a clean or dirty wound. Most wounds you'll encounter in an off-grid situation or setting will be dirty. If you try to close a dirty wound, such as a gunshot, you have sequestered bacteria, bits of clothing, and dirt into your body. Within a short period of time, the wound may show signs of infection. An infected wound appears red, swollen, and hot. In extreme cases, an abscess may form and pus will accumulate inside the infection, may spread to the bloodstream, a condition known as uh, sepsemia, and becoming life-threatening. It may be difficult to fight the urge to close a wound. Leaving the wound open, however, will allow you to clean the inside frequently and directly observe the healing process. It also allows inflammatory fluid to drain out of the body. The scar isn't as pretty, but it's the safest option in most cases. In addition, if you're truly in a long-term survival scenario, the sutured material or staples you have aren't going to be replaced. It's important to know when a closure is absolutely necessary and when it's not. Other considerations when deciding whether or not to close a wound are whether it is a simple laceration, straight thin cuts on the skin, or whether it is an avulsion, areas of skin torn out or hanging flaps. If the edges of the skin are so far apart that they cannot be stitched together without undue pressure, the wound should be left open. Another reason the wound should be left open is if it has been open for more than six to eight hours. Why? Even the air has bacteria and here a good chance that they have already colonized the injury by that time. Let's say that you're certain the wound is clean. It's less than eight hours old. Here are some other factors that would suggest that closure is appropriate. The laceration is long or deep. The exception would be a puncture wound from an animal bite. These bites are loaded with bacteria and should be kept open in austere settings, in my opinion. The wound is located over a joint. A moving part such as the knee will constantly stress a wound and prevent it from closing in by itself. The wound gapes open, but loosely enough to suggest that it can be closed without undue pressure on the skin. It's important to realize that you only will have limited supply of staples and sutures. Feel free to mix different closures methods like alternating sutures and strips, or even adding duct tape improvised into butterfly closures when you've run out of medical supplies. You'd be surprised to see what qualifies as medical supplies when the chips are down. If you are unsure, you can choose to wait 48 to 72 hours before closing a wound to make sure that no signs of infections develop. This is referred to as delayed closure. Some wounds can be partially closed, allowing a small open space to prevent the accumulation of inflammatory fluid. Drains consisting of thin lengths of latex, nitrile, or even gauze might be placed into the wound for this purpose. Although these can get quite expensive, pin rose drains are a reasonably priced version of these that are still used in some operating rooms. Drains have a tendency to leak, so placing a dressing over the exposed area. Many injuries that require closure and some that don't also should be treated with antibiotics in oral or topical form to decrease the chance of infection. Natural substances with antibiotic properties such as garlic or raw unprocessed honey may be useful in survival scenarios. The decision to close a wound involves developing sound judgment, something that takes some training and experience. For that reason, we've taught wound care classes throughout the country, not just to teach the mechanics of how to throw a stitch. 
but to impart the knowledge of just what makes for a close, closable wound. Injuries are part of the part. Injuries are part and parcel of survival. Make sure that you can handle them as well as infection, dis, infectious diseases, and all the other problems that will confront the medic in times of trouble. All right. So again. Um, you need to get their book. If you don't have their book, the Survival Medicine Handbook, that is the one book that you you must have. If you have one survival prepper book, you've got to get that one. Um, they've updated it. Uh, they have some real good, uh, you know, essential oils, herbal remedies in there as well. But uh, they wrote that book with the idea that. Uh, you're going to be in a situation where there there's not going to be medical help. And so some of the other survival books, like where there is no doctor, a lot of the times it's like get the person stable and then get them to emergency care. This one's written like it's not. And so I think that's something that everyone should have. Now, I would also recommend that you do take their course. I did do the suturing course with them uh, one year when they came to um, – or when I was in, uh, went to the Self Reliance show uh, in in the Dallas area, I didn't. They just had one just recently. Didn't get to go to that one, uh, uh, but I just because I'm busy at work, but um, missed that one. But uh, was able to take it, and I think it's it's very worthwhile. And so you're you're taking a course if if you get this opportunity, uh, and you might want to hit selfrelientexpo.com. I believe that's the the uh, the, the web address, but uh, you know, you're taking if you take this course from them, you're taking it from a from people that are teaching it. First of all, they're professionals and they're real medical professionals. They're not people who just you know claim to be or took a first aid course or whatever. They're real medical professionals, but then they're also they're going to be putting the spin on it that you you know you will be the medic uh, for your group. You are you know going to be taking care of things when uh, you're in a you know a real SHTF scenario. So. Uh, go check that one out. There are pictures and links uh, on their on this article that you might be interested in looking at, uh, especially if you are you know interested in the medical preparedness aspect of it. So their website is a great great resource. Go check that check them out. All right, uh, next article comes to us from ReadyNutrition.com, and this article. Uh, is called what is the best location for a cache on your property there might be a lot of reasons why you want to put a cache uh, or put things you know in the in the ground uh, to hide them for whatever reason uh, but there's right ways of doing it and this article is going to cover more the aspect of uh, for protection uh, not getting it stolen and those kinds of things uh, but I do have a friend that I used to work with whose parents for whatever reason, I don't I don't believe they're preppers. Uh, you know, they bury money in their backyard in a cache, and I don't know if it was in a PVC pipe type deal or or what it was like, but it got soaking wet, and uh, they were very concerned. And uh, the the bank wouldn't take the money wet, so they had to dry it out. And you know, apparently it was a lot of small bills, and so they had to take a long time of of drying it all out and everything. So uh, you definitely, when you're thinking about this, you've got to get a watertight container, something that is not going to leak, especially if you're putting, uh, you know, something that's uh, metal. And, uh, you know, it will, with liquid getting to it or any kind of moisture getting to it, it would really ruin it. So um, I'm, I'm assuming, I believe that's going to be coming uh, 
I believe reading this article, I think he mentioned that they'll they'll be talking a little bit more about that. Um, but if not, you can always go to Prepper website and and look up uh, in the tag cloud the the word cash and find all kinds of good stuff on that. But let's go ahead and start reading this one from readynutrition.com. Caches are the ultimate backup plan because everyone wants to hide their stuff, but hiding it effectively is a different manner. Yes, everyone wants a set of diagrams and ideas, but you should have a plan before you implement your construction. Let's outline some basic principles and considerations first that it would do you good to keep in mind. Firstly, OPSEC, Operational Security, is paramount with any kind of project such as this. You must keep everyone out of the loop. Nosy big mouth neighbors, prying relatives, overly curious coworkers, ad infinitum. You can't advertise what you're doing and expect any measure of success. What you place in what we'll call your storage room is your business and your business alone. The only ones in the loop with you should be ones you can really or rely on absolutely to keep their mouths shut. You must take time to find the ideal location on your property for your storage room. Be advised there are local cops, the sheriff's department, the IRS, ad infinitum ad nauseum, an endless conga line of creeps who can metamorphose and metastasize almost instantly overnight with a full-blown tyranny. They have everything at their disposal courtesy on your tax dollars, infrared scanners, metal detectors, drug and bomb sniffing canines, etc., that said, if you think you're going to be able to hide something from them right next to the house, you'd better think again. They'll sweep the entire area with a fine-tooth comb with you there or with you in matching silver bracelets being chauffeured to jail. You can optimally hide your supplies by doing two things. Number one, throw them a bone. They must pick up something and can't leave empty-handed. I'm not talking about anything illegal, mind you, such as drugs or bombs. I'm talking about if they wish to confiscate your weapons, etc., when the government morphs into tyranny. Throwing them a bone means you should give them a few things. One or two rifles, per se, and a couple of pistols, along with some ammo. For anyone who disagrees with this and recites the when they pry it from my cold dead fingers line, go ahead, they will. They'll either do that or worse. You won't be able to face them and defeat them head on. It's better to lose a small part than to lose it all. If you can't part with your firearms, consider hiding some less innocuous items like tools, food, and or clothing. Number two, have your storage room in the most unlikely place to find it that you can. You know your own property. It's going to be up to you to know these unlikely places and whether it is feasible to use them. Let's go over some ideas and general spots near the septic tank. Yes, indeed, that septic tank can be a perfect cover for an adjoining structure in the form of a concrete tube or cubicle set into the ground right next to it. You can really make it look good by ensuring they both physically touch and then throwing some cement in the joint to make it appear as if they're one structure. Farthest point on the property. The four corners and adjacent spots, the greater the distance between the storage room and the house, the better. Surface running water camouflage. A small stream or creek flowing across your property, stick that storage room under it. You temporarily divert all the part of the creek, sink that storage room underground, and then allow the stream to return to its normal flow. 
This method is best done with a cache rather than a walk-in storage room for obvious reasons. You won't be able to get to it rapidly. Under something innocuous, a children's swing set or a decorative fountain goldfish pond in your front yard. Under near a stone wall, panel, partition, or fence. Not a normative place for that normal people, for the normal people to look. There are several decisions you must make before you undertake all of this. Most of them deal with structures and logistics. How much stuff do you want to store and what? Are you going to close it off on the, on the manner of a cache or are you going to make it more accessible? How much time and labor are you willing to put into it along with money? If someone else is building it, are they reliable in terms of keeping their mouth shut? Even more, will they take what you have if they are given the opportunity or in an SHTF situation, might they show up on your doorstep to take what you have? You can't rule out any of these possibilities. You may also want to screen off the area that is most visible while it is being built. Part 2, we will have some diagrams for you to use and three different ideas for a storage vault structure, modifiable by size and only limited by your imagination or the resources you can afford. You'll have to consider all the nosy neighbors, friends and relatives, and the government pests in all their taxing and informing forms. Enforcing forms, I'm sorry. Until next time, keep your powder dry and well hidden. JJL. I think when I was first getting into preparedness, uh, man, I don't think I ever told that story. The first time I ever met other people that were in it, um, I, I joined a meetup group here in the Houston area. I mean, if there's anybody that's listening that's, that was a part of that meetup group, man, throw me a line. Uh, but uh, So I went through the first couple of meetings there, and then I went to a couple afterwards. But I'd already started Prepper website by then, and, and it was getting real busy for me then. But um started listening to, uh, I mean, it was a full crowd. I mean, it was probably about 30, 40 people in there, and I don't think everyone wound up staying. Um, but I just learned a lot from just listening to people. Uh, and, uh, you know, one of the things that people were talking about was this, this idea of throwing them a bone, you know, have some, some old junker, you know, firearms that, you know, you really don't care about the kind that you go to a gun show and you buy, you know, you pay for, you know, a hundred dollars or whatever, small little guns or whatever. And, and you have them that for whatever reason you, you feel you're okay with getting rid of them. And so, uh, you know, if something like that was to happen, you could easily part with them and not lose out, you know, uh, not lose your, your real defensive weapons. So, um, something to consider there. I am going to go ahead and, um, link to the cache tag cloud on Prepper website. If you're not familiar with the tag cloud over there, every article that gets posted on PrepperWebsite.com, uh, that's the main site. That's where I get all the articles, and we update that we uh, daily with uh, somewhere between 8 to 12 articles uh, a day, new articles. And so every article gets tagged. Uh, and so when you go to the tag cloud, you will go and you will see a big... Uh, you know, a bunch of words, a bunch of, you know, whatever, but there are topics in the preparedness community. So if you were to click on, for instance, solar, you would get everything that was tagged with solar and you can peruse all those articles and you'll know that those were articles that came from a preparedness website or something along those lines, right? Um, it's not just, you know, it's not like you're going to Google and typing in solar and coming up with all kinds of weird stuff. This is stuff that was informative and that's valuable to preppers. Uh, 
So um, I did a recently uh, did an article, and I haven't even um, I released it or posted it a couple of days ago. Haven't put it on Prepper website yet, but over on Ed That Matters. So if you go and you register for the giveaway, just go back to the homepage, and uh, there is an article that I wrote. Uh, Do dead preppers tell tells? And I walk through the tag cloud over there and how to navigate that. Uh, I made a little video for that. So that might be interesting for you if you've never gone over there and checked that out. There's a lot of art, um, a lot of links in this article over at readynutrition.com. So you'll want to go check that out. And um, definitely, anyway, I, I, would, I don't know if I said that for sure, but I, I am going to link to cash the cash tag cloud or the tag on uh, the tag cloud at Prepper website. So I'll do that on uh, on this episode, episode 74. But a lot of good stuff here. So looking forward to read reading the other ones when they come out, part two, and what he's going to provide as far as, because uh, this is written by Jeremiah Johnson over at Ready Nutrition. Uh, looking for, uh, forward to what he's going to write uh, on, you know, the different customizable, modifiable uh you know, different caches and then uh, rooms and things like, you know, that he's referring to. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our next article. Um, our next article is a pretty interesting one and very, I'm going to tell you, it was very popular. Um, there was, there's like 50 something um, comments on it and it was just released like, like a day and a half ago, two days ago. So it's over at askaprepper.com. And the title of it is The First Counties to Be Relieved by the Government After SHTF. And so I don't know if I completely agree with everything here, but uh, it does make sense if um, when you're talking about a, a scenario... Okay, so if you're talking about a scenario where the government can recoup, right... Um, whatever that might might be, you know, whatever. If if there's a scenario where the where the the government or the nation can recoup, I think this might come into play. Uh, if it's a situation where there's like complete total devastation, I think this kind of article gets thrown out. Uh, but uh, very very interesting, and you can read it. And I, like I said, there's a lot of comments, uh, a lot of people talking about you know different things there. So uh, let's go ahead and start reading this one again. Askaprepper.com. When Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, it was one of the worst natural disasters in modern U.S. history. At least 1,200 people, maybe as high as 1,800, died across the southeastern USA, and property damage totaled more than $108 billion. One reason the death toll was so high is that FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, made a real mess of their response. The agency's director was one of the most high-profile officials who resigned in the aftermath of Katrina. Since then, FEMA has supposedly cleaned its act up and should be able to respond effectively to any future disasters. But what does that mean for you? In theory, at least, if there's an isolated disaster in one part of the USA, something like another hurricane, FEMA should be able to respond effectively. Their response would probably include pre-disaster programs like evacuation plans or setting up temporary shelters for anyone who's left homeless. Once a disaster has happened, they can coordinate emergency searches and re- search and rescue, medical and support teams. They can bring in federal resources and also work with state agencies to make sure help is going where it's needed. What if it's a national disaster, though? 
Another FEMA's function is to help stabilize the USA after a catastrophe that affects the whole country. That could be a freak climate event, an EMP, or anything else all the way up to a major nuclear attack. Can FEMA rescue people, give them medical treatment, and find them housing on a national scale? On paper, at least, the answer is yes. After all, they can call on a lot of federal resources. But even then, they're not going to be able to help the whole country at once. They'll be prioritizing some areas, doing what they can, they're then moving on to somewhere else. The first priority for FEMA is going to be big cities, with Washington, D.C. probably at the top of the list. Prioritizing D.C. looks a lot like self-interest, but in this case, it probably isn't. In a real major disaster, the leaders of the government will have evacuated anyway, and they'll be working from emergency bunkers. Getting the capital sorted out will let the rest of the government start rebuilding itself, Though, and even if most of us usually wish the government would leave us alone, it's going to be important if the entire USA needs needs rebuilt. Once D.C. is under control, the next priority will be the big three urban areas, New York City, Los Angeles, and Chicago. There are a couple of reasons for this, and the first one is simple. There are a lot of people there, and they're going to be in a bad way. Even the power going out for a couple of days will reduce a big city to chaos. An EMP or an actual nuclear strike would leave millions of people helpless and unable to survive for long on their own. Cities are fragile, especially when things go seriously wrong. Without urgent rescue operations, they'd quickly collapse into anarchy as people fought for the limited resources available. Unburied corpses and contaminated water would spark epidemics. Fires burning out of control would cause death and destruction on a huge scale. If a Russian SS-25 ICBN detonated above Manhattan Island, it would kill about 1.5 million New Yorkers in less than a minute. That's bad enough, but without an immediate and massive FEMA response, at least another 4 million, including almost all the 3 million injured by the blast, would be dead within a couple of weeks. They'd just starve, dehydrate, burn, or get sick and die. Another reason to prioritize the cities is that bringing them under control will help keep will help get the government running again and make a start at rebuilding the economy. A major national catastrophe or attack would cause huge damage to the USA. But if the cities can be stabilized, the country can rebuild a lot more quickly. Here are the likely priorities. So there's uh, cities and then why they're the priority. Uh, So let me see how many are. There's 10 of them. So let me read these. Washington, D.C., because of government. New York City, largest U.S. population center. Los Angeles, second largest population center. Chicago, major population center, finance and manufacturing. Houston, major population center, oil industry. Dallas, population center, oil industry. Philadelphia, population center, manufacturing, oil refining. San Diego, population center, military. Phoenix, population center, food processing. And San Francisco, tech industries. Small towns aren't anywhere near as vulnerable as a big city is. Losing the power would be bad, but not disastrous. The infrastructure is usually simpler and not as automated. The population is less dense, which reduces the risk of disease, and it's generally easier to get food and water. In a nuclear war, small towns are also a lot less likely to be damaged by the strike, unless they're near a strategic target. They'll certainly suffer in the aftermath but nowhere near as badly as the cities will. So in general, they're going to be as much lower priority for rescue efforts. 
There are some ex exceptions to this, of course. Food supplies are going to be very important. Millions of refugees from the cities will need to be fed, and the normal distribution networks will have collapsed. Expe expect areas that grow staples like wheat and root vegetables to be a lot higher up the list yeah, and confiscated. Um, that's just my two cents. Any town with major food processing industries is also going to be a priority, and so are transport hubs. Unless these places get restored to normal as fast as possible, all other efforts are basically pointless. Even if FEMA saves the survivors from the major cities, they'll all starve to death with, when winter hits. So, if you have a big food canning plant down the road, expect rescue services to be on the scene very soon after the disaster uh, read as takeover. Uh, the government will want to get life back to something near enough normal that people are willing to go back to work. On the other hand, if you live in a rural area and the big local crops are tobacco, cotton, or anything else that can't be shipped to the cities and eaten, you're going to be on your own for a while. Part of that is hard-headed realism from the government. Your area isn't critical to rebuilding the nation, and there aren't all that many people in it, so you're going to have to wait. Then again, another big part of it is sort of com a compliment. The government knows that people in rural areas would need, wouldn't, won't need help all that urgently. If you're already pretty self-reliant, you be you're better place to get, you're better place to get through a crisis. You probably grow some of your own food, you know how to hunt, and you might even have your own water supply and generator. You can take care of yourself for a while and let the feds get on with rescuing the city folk. The exact details of what happened will affect these priorities, but in general, they're pretty reliable. The first targets for federal resources will be the big cities, especially on the coast, and anywhere that produces vital resources. That will be followed by places that have other important industries than smaller towns with rural areas at the back of the line. In other words, the same way the government always sets its priorities. So again, I'm going to refresh here just to see if there's any new comments. Um... I don't know. Again, I think um, so. Yeah, there's there's 53 comments. I don't know. I, I I'm really you know have to really process this again. If if there are a big, it's a big widespread. In I think the author mentioned EMP. If it's EMP, man, it's all forget it. You know, uh, the government trying to get things back to order is not going to do any good because that's not going to work. They're not going to be able to get their resources moving uh, like uh, like it's kind of discussed here or implied here. Um, if you know, if it is maybe like, you know like a pandemic, if it may be financial. Maybe civil unrest and starting to like go widespread all over the country, you know, possibly. But if it's a really big, big, uh, you know, SHTF scenario, man, I, I just don't, I just don't know. Um, that's all, you know, you're you're counting on FEMA to uh, be uh, have the ability to actually pull all this off. First of all, right. Um, they didn't do very well. I know, you know, Katrina was a big, uh, a big issue. But even during Hurricane Sandy on the East Coast, I mean, there was big generators. Just, you know, you remember, I don't know if you remember that, but I remember seeing the pictures and people upset because there was big generators just sitting, you know, sitting around not being used, and people were just getting getting upset and kind of getting fed up with that. Um, if you're part of the um, of the the email list, and then you start getting the uh, 
you start getting the e-course, the free e-course, uh, uh, building a more self-reliant life. Um, in that, uh, the, the sanitation part, I bring Hurricane Sandy up because there is that one woman who is talking about, and there was video about, you know, people were using the restroom in the hallways of their apartment. Can you imagine that, you know, uh, that going with the, what the smell was and then people getting sick. And uh, if a hallway is dark, you're walking and you, you don't know where you're going, but you could be walking all over people using the, re you know, it's just, just terrible. So again, you're counting on FEMA having the ability to actually pull this off and, you know, move the resources where they need to move. Uh, you're counting on FEMA having the, the, the personnel to pull it off. Uh, their, you know, their families might be in a bad state and they might not be showing up for work. Right. So, um, I know that uh, Fernando Aguirre talked about this in his book uh, when he's talking about, uh, you know, the big cities feeling the effect that, you know, big, the resources came to the big cities out in the country, uh, they, you know, they didn't necessarily go to. Um, I can see that, again, if it's not the big, huge SHTF scenario, you know, hitting the whole country. So uh, a lot there. And I think that's kind of where uh, I know some of the, the comments were dealing with, uh, you know, FEMA's responsibility versus the mayor and the governor's local uh, responsibility for Katrina. But then it kind of went, you know, all into a bunch of other stuff as well. So um, something to think about and to uh, and to consider, you know, it might be a situation where if it was a big, humongous uh, scenario that you know you, t you hopefully you have your 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 tank filled and you have a place where you can get to that's a little bit further out in the country uh, you know I, I don't know if you if you have a place that you're bugging out to and it is uh, it is in reasonable distance that your vehicle can make it anyway so a good article something to think about you know I think I think preparedness is a lot of that, right? Where you you are thinking about um, possible scenarios. Uh, it's you know they might not ever happen. Uh, you might not ever see a polar shift. You might not ever see an EMP. You might not ever see uh, you know super volcano going off. Uh, but you know sometimes it is that aspect of what would you do if if it did happen. You know at least you have some kind of uh, you know little kind of plan in place again i still think you need to plan for the things like loss of job uh you know uh natural disasters like you know hurricane does take out your electricity for three four you know even uh here here in houston we had people that uh during uh hurricane ike didn't have electricity for two weeks you know uh and so but they were still going to work and, and it was pockets um the people across the street when hurricane ike happened we didn't have uh you know, we were without electricity for, I think, three or four days. Uh, the people across the street from us had electricity in two days. So it was like right across the street. You know, we could see their lights on and all that kind of stuff, and we didn't have electricity. And so, you know, you're still required to go to work. You're still required to, you know, do all those kinds of things, you know, and you don't have the conveniences of electricity and stuff. Um, but that was just a localized event. Uh, you know, big main, big, uh, you know, thing that's affecting the whole country. That's a whole different story. So, uh, you know, kind of think it through. Go back and read this article 
Uh, there's a lot of links here that, uh, you know, in this article that you want to check out. Uh, and you'll be able to see a, um, they do have a map with the different locations or the cities that were discussed and uh, where they're at in, um, you know, in the country. And then, uh, you know, kind of think, kind of think it through. Do you think that these cities would, uh, you know, would get, would Chicago, would they spend time, you know, dealing with Chicago? Um, is that something that they would want to do? I don't know. All right. Well, uh, that's it for episode 74. Again, thanks so much for listening. If you get a chance, uh, we appreciate it when you share out this show and uh, on social media, word of mouth, all that kind of stuff. And then we also appreciate it when you uh, can leave a you know a review for us on iTunes or over on Stitcher. We you know we really appreciate that. All right. So with that, uh, let me close out. As always, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government, grid, or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.